today on Ag News Daily. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today it is hard to believe, but it is Thursday, June 1st, 2017. It has been an exciting day in the meat markets today. I'm Mike Pearson. I'm joined today by my co-host, Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you? I am full. You are full. Did you support the beef market? Yes, that's where I was going to lead you <laughs> I right to it. I did. I did. I had a nice prime rib for lunch. You know, that's the kind of lunch that America needs to go back to. If President Trump wants to make America great again, we need to institute hour-and-a-half-long lunches where people can just just eat as many 16-ounce prime ribs as they can. You know, it's funny that we're talking about eating out for lunch because yesterday, I think it was, or maybe the day before, I saw a stat that said that eating out for lunch is a dying breed. I saw the same thing. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, I eat no. out for lunch all the time. I mean, well, we do. I Maybe the ag industry, I think, is a little different because I feel like a lot of people in the ag industry, it's still very common for them to eat out or take clients out to eat or, you know, whatever, connect. Yeah, and I think the eating out for lunch that that article was talking about was like the folks that work at, you know, principal downtown Des Moines, rather than mm. going out to a restaurant with their friends for lunch, they just eat at their desk. Oh, that's boring. Yeah, I know. It's, my wife is very big <laughs> on taking her lunch to work, and she just eats at her desk. And I'm like, Heidi, you're salaried. They're, you know, they're paying you to take an hour lunch. you got to do it. Otherwise, they're, you know, you got to get your money's worth. That's true. I mean, I do take my lunch to work often, but I still like to go out to eat sometimes. Yeah, I, I love going out to eat. I do Whether too. I do it probably too much. Ugh, no, that's not. That's not what I consider going out to eat. No. Yuck. All right. Well, you got any news for us, Delaney? I do have some news. We have a first sentencing for Clive and Bundy, who is involved in that Nevada rancher. What did they they the standoff? Uh, the, yeah, that's right. The standoff. So he received a first sentencing yesterday for seven years in prison. I wasn't very old when it happened. so Yeah, you were like 10 years old in 2014. No, I, wasn't, that was, I wasn't quite that young. I'm just kidding. Just a, just a pup. I didn't pay as much attention to the news back then as I do now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because you were still in college back then. You were still you know, yeah. worried about uh, who's got the nickel beers. Oh, does anybody I think, still do that anymore? Um, we have something similar to that, but I think in 2014 I was studying abroad, so I wasn't even in the U.S., so gotcha. it wouldn't have been something that would have been on my radar. Cliven didn't make headlines in Bulgaria, nah. you're saying. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know, we've got some uh, some tragic news, actually, today out of Wisconsin. A, uh, a corn milling plant, the Didion Milling Plant, 80 miles northwest of Milwaukee, exploded last night. And uh, one person has been confirmed killed. Two people are missing as of this morning. And I have not seen an update on this. The uh, 
basically there were 16 people at the, uh, excuse me, 17 people working at the facility, and 12 of those folks suffered injuries and were transported to a hospital either by ambulance or by helicopter, and uh, two escaped unharmed, and and still those those two people are missing. So the uh, they don't know what caused the blast yet. Didion Milling does both a uh, a dry mill plant and produces ethanol, but it as again, as of this morning, it was unclear whether the blast occurred in the ethanol part of the facility. It seems like it was most likely a dust explosion, but nothing has been uh, announced yet as concrete. The investigation is ongoing. So our hearts and okay. prayers go out to yeah. uh, to those folks in Wisconsin. Yeah, definitely. In other trial-related news, the jury selection has started for the $1 billion defamation case over the ABC News report in South Dakota in regards to the pink slime. Yeah, and that's a, finely textured beef. Yes, that's right. Dakota Dunes-based beef products is suing ABC over coverage that misled consumers into believing that their product was unsafe to consume, that lean-textured beef. That's right. So it will be interesting. Do they have a trial date set up, or do we have to get through jury selection first? I believe you have to get through jury selection first, and that does take a while from what I've learned watching Law and & Order and other criminal shows. <laughs> I don't know. Every time I've watched Law & Order, it, you know, jury selection only takes about five minutes, and then yeah, the trial's well, over in 30 minutes. Except you've got to watch the dates at the bottom. That always, that always highlights the length of time it takes for that stuff. That's true. That's, and sometimes yeah. you get those episodes that are just all in the courtroom, and then, my goodness, That's the jury selection just dwells on and on. You know, uh, uh, why can I not remember the prosecutor's name? Who's the or, old guy? Uh, I know who you're talking about, but I can't. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That, that show I've been just, watching, hasn't been the same since, they, uh, since we lost Jerry Orbach back in 2000. I've been watching... Um, how to get away with murder, and they just did a jury selection in one of the episodes the other day. And I don't know if it was really accurately portrayed, but basically the prosecutor and the defense lawyer have the opportunity to question all the def- all the jury candidates, and then they can pass on them for mm-hmm. any particular reason. They don't have to list reason. That's right. Voir dire, they call it. Yes. Selection. Look at you. Yeah. You know, I uh, my wife watches... That one, uh, How to Get Away with Murder. And so I've just tuned yeah. into it occasionally, and it's on its, what, third or fourth season maybe? I think fourth. And people just keep dying. And supposedly it's like this fancy college town. It's like these people are just dying. Yeah. You know, let's get out of there. You know, New York City where law and well, order takes the... place. It's like, well, yeah, you know, for me and the sticks, of course mm-hmm. people are murdered, you know, every other day in New York City at, you know, foul circumstances. But this is like <laughs> a town of 1,500 people, this whole story takes place in Idaho. Well, it's the it it's the law students that keep killing people. That's exactly. The kicker. Yeah. How many? Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, so while we're talking about law students <laughs> and legal negotiations, how's that for a segue? That's U.S. Good. and Mexico have been in negotiations for quite a while over this sugar trade dispute. Allegedly, Mexico not. I I think we're past the allegedly point. Mexico has been dumping sugar into the U.S. at uh, below market prices. We've sued them, and now it sounds like we are extending the deadline, or we did extend the deadline to June 5th, and now we're getting closer to an agreement. Uh, Guajardo, the, uh, the Mexico's economy minister, said that uh, negotiations have moved closer, 
but he could not guarantee a new agreement. So we will stay tuned to that and see exactly how this plays out for uh, those of our listeners who are sugar producers, either of the beet or cane variety. Mike, do you know what tomorrow is? Oh, let's see. It's not Cinco de Mayo. It's not the Ides of March. It's not my birthday, so no. (laughs) Tomorrow is hashtag Farmers Think Domino's Day. I received an email from Janine Van Vark this morning. She is the manager of outreach outreach marketing for the National Pork Producers Council. And it's a press release about Domino's hosting a Farmer's Day tomorrow. So this is in regards to the activist groups that have been attacking Domino's, saying animal welfare hasn't been up to par, um, the way the animals have been raised, etc., Domino's should be ashamed and change their ways and get on this bandwagon of antibiotic-free, organic, cage-free, blah, 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 that we've been seeing seeing a big trend in with restaurants. And so the um, Tim McIntyre, which I believe is the president of Domino's, has been very avid in speaking out about the company's refusal to give in to demands of these activist groups, saying that they, Domino's believes that farmers and ranchers and producers are the experts in animal welfare, not these activist groups. And so tomorrow is Thank Domino's Day. So if you're hungry for a pizza, make sure and stop into your local Domino's and buy a pizza and post it on social media using, using the hashtag Farmers Think Domino's and tag at Domino's. That's interesting. I'm glad to hear Domino's has been uh, standing up to those groups. I did see an article mm-hmm. about that here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of the, and I, I won't say a title because I'll get it wrong, but one of the executives said, you know, we get emails and letters all the time from these groups saying, you know, this is how animals need to be raised, how farm, or, you know, farmers are mistreating their animals. He goes, we just throw them in the trash. You know, those those people, they don't know anything about uh-huh. livestock production. Yeah. Farmers understand what it takes to produce livestock. So that is good to hear. And I will say that, gosh, it was probably six or eight years ago, Domino's went in, completely reformatted their menu, and uh, their pizzas are, are delicious. They so are, if, if, yeah. Uh, you know, if you haven't had Domino's in ten years, and for me, Domino's, it was like $5, got you two large pizzas when I was mm-hmm. in college, and they were not very good. Um, <laughs> but... At 2 in the morning, you didn't really care. It was some food-like substance you could shove into your mouth. And uh, (laughs) I'm glad to see they've changed and are are making strides and, yeah, using a lot of responsibly raised meat, which means just meat produced by the folks who know, which is the U.S. and and Canadian farmer. Right. Yeah, exactly. Let's see. We've got some other corporate news, Delaney. John Deere, Deere & Company, said this morning, actually, that is going to buy a German company. The company is called the Wirtgen Group for about $5 billion to expand its road construction operations because they are trying to cut down their dependence on farm machinery. And as soon as John Deere made this announcement, shares rose 3.1%. So as of earlier today, they were trading at $126.29 a share. And uh, they were going to open at their highest level ever. So interesting news there from John Deere. Okay, well, I just had a couple pieces of news related to Ag News Daily, Mike. What do you got, Delaney? Well, we have been working with a graphic designer to get some promotional materials put together. And so I 
just went through some statistics yesterday, some analytics uh, connected to our podcast, and I am excited to announce that we are in all 50 states except for Connecticut and Alaska. Oh, Connecticut and Alaska. So, folks, yeah. if you are uh, from those places or you have connections in those places, for us, it's a matter of pride. We'd love to check those off. You know, the, That's right. The podcast mm-hmm. company gives us a little map, and those states show up as white. If we could turn them even a slight shade of green with one download, that would just be mm-hmm. that would be fun. Yeah, that would be. And we're running um, some promotional contests right now on Facebook and on Twitter. If you follow us on those, our handle is Ag News Daily for both. Can they win stuff, Be, Delaney? They can win stuff. We are working on some promotional product materials right now, including maybe some koozies for those cold beverages you might have laying around the farm. That's right. On these hot summer days, it's good to keep your <clears throat> sodas cool. <laughs> right. That's right. That is interesting. So, folks, be sure to share it with your friends. Visit the agnewsdaily.com website. Let us know what you want to see and so on. That's right. And just really quick, another plug here. We are going to be at the World Pork Expo, and that is next week, June 7th through the 9th, I believe are the exact dates. And that is being held at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. So if you are going to be at the World Pork Expo, shoot us a message. Let us know. We'd love to uh, to talk to you, to hear from you, to shoot the bull, I suppose. The breeze. The shoot the breeze. Shoot the, yeah, what well, I was trying to make or it. Or the boar. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, I, I used to raise hogs. I, I know my what's what and where's where's. You that's know. right. You know what I'm most excited about for the Pork Expo? What's that? Well, of course, meeting some of our fans, but all the free food that they have, it is so good. Yeah, it's hard to argue with uh, Yeah. With free pork. Exactly. But, Delaney, can we talk about the markets, please? Yes, Mike. I know what you're excited to say. I am very excited. Oh, sorry. I maxed out the mics there. I am very, very excited because today we had, yeah, it was kind of a, kind of a blah day in the grains. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. start there. Folks, just stick with me. For a little while. Let's start the grains. <laughs> we, you know, continued favorable weather is continuing to push these shorts into the market. Uh, we saw in the corn pit, July corn dropped one and a half cents, closed the day at 370 and a half. December corn down one and three quarters, closed at 389 and a quarter. Soybeans, same story. We've, you know, back and forth and back and forth. Today was a fourth day. We've got July beans down three and three quarter cents. They closed at 912, getting awfully close to that psychological $9 mark. November beans down a half a cent, finished at 917 and three quarters. Over in wheat, the Chicago contract, July wheat dropped a quarter of a penny to 429 even. The December contract down a half a cent, closed the day at 466 even. The exciting thing today happened in the livestock markets. We had today the rib, the rib segment went to its highest price of any time of the year, of any year in history. Basically what happened is that packers ran out of choice boneless ribeyes and they had to aggressively bid up for for animals this week, we had uh, live cash bids jump from 132 last week. Last I heard, bids were 135, 136 in Nebraska and in Texas. Uh, uh, excuse me, dressed bids jumped 
from 208 last week to 216, 215. I saw some trades happen. Uh, regional bids happen in Nebraska earlier today at 215. That is a heck of a jump in one week's time, and it was reflected in the futures markets. Delaney, can I talk about live cattle? Go ahead, Mike. Delaney, what happened <laughs> with the June live cattle contract today? Uh, I think it went limit up. Limit up, it sure did. June live cattle up the limit, three dollars. Closed today at one twenty-seven forty-two and a half. The August contract, Delaney. Limit up. Limit up at one twenty-four seventy. October contract, Delaney. Limit up. Three dollars to the upside. Finished today at one twenty-one fifteen in feeder cattle. The August contract climbed today, four dollars and fifty cents, Delaney, which makes it. Limit up. Limit up. You're losing your enthusiasm. Come on. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. They finished the day at 157.07.5. So the September contract, Delaney. Limit up. Limit up at 156.32.5. The October feeder cattle contract, Delaney. Limit up. Limit up. Close the day at 154.65. In lean hogs, they did not join the party. Unfortunately, today, <laughs> the June contract was off a buck. Finished the day at 80.92.5. And the July lean hog contract dropped at 90 cents. Closing the day at 82.12.5. But it is exciting. Given the strength in the cash bids that we saw today, we're now back to an 8 or $9 positive basis on the live cattle side here in the front month, I would expect to see more futures movement to the north tomorrow. And if we're lucky, we'll get to say limit up once again. I feel like I need to do like a dance or something when I'm saying that. You absolutely need to do it. <laughs> Dancing is essential. Okay. But we're talking to folks today, Delaney, who are important in getting the feed for those livestock hauled around the country, aren't we? We are. We're talking to Katie Hall, and she runs Three Point Ag, which, as I understand it, is kind of a subsidiary or a company within the umbrella branch of New Balance Commodities, which is based out of Corning, Iowa. And I'm just going to let Katie explain really what Three Point Ag is, but you definitely want to stay tuned and learn about this new business. We are welcomed now by Katie Hall. She works for Three Point Ag, and I'm just going to leave the introduction at that, Katie, and let you explain what Three Point Ag does. Wonderful. Thanks, Delaney. Uh, Three Point is a freight brokerage company, and traditionally in the industry, brokerage is kind of a dirty word, and you think of brokers as people that are trying to skin money from other people, and they're trying to do things in the most cost-effective way possible, but that's not my goal. So my goal is really to create uh, synergies where they don't currently exist. So I've spent a lot of time in the ag industry. I worked, um, started first outside of the ag industry for Walmart Logistics and then worked for companies like ADM and Schooler and traded grain for them. And now I'm working to use my connections to help truck drivers and help our cattle feeders within the Midwest get the best prices at the most reasonable rates, and then to have the truck drivers get a better better day. And that should be more money for the day and more money per loaded mile and per running now, mile even. So. And Three Point Ag is a only a year-old company. You said your year anniversary was yesterday. What mm-hmm. prompted What prompted the start of this company? That's a fantastic question. You know, realistically, when I started, 
when we started this company, it was how can we help this? How can we help a sales team? What can we do um, to allow them to focus on sales and to take a piece of that detail that they're working on, whether they're coordinating logistics, tying down trucks, or following up them with the customer that's taking the feed? How can I help? What can I do? And coming from the trucking world, that was an easy transition for me to say, I would like to do that. Let me help in that way. Let me create these efficiencies and let the guy focus on selling and let me focus on following up with the detail. So what is it that that you're mostly hauling or arranging to be hauled at Three Point? Is it predominantly seed? I would say predominantly it's cattle feed, you know, anything from dry distillers to wet distillers out of ethanol facilities. Um, we also move things like corn syrup. Um, we've moved grease from hog plants. Um, we've moved soybean oil, um, things that are a little higher value on the oil side, like for REG. We've moved product for FC Stone. We've also moved product for ADM and companies like New Balance Commodities. Um, and yeah, so it's these everything, companies, I would say. Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> so these companies, they're reaching out to you saying, hey, we've got a product. We need it to go X. Get us the best deal. Is that typically how it works? You got it. Or they'll say, hey, we're we're moving freight here and here, and we can't piece it together. A, maybe they can't find the trucks, or they can't find a consistent supply. Or if they do have the trucks, um, maybe they feel like they're missing something. So in a lot of cases, what I work to do is to create either a triangle or a loop where the truck drivers can be loaded in every direction. And hopefully that doesn't add a lot of stress to what they're doing that, that day. Traditionally, the things we look for are grain hauls in the facilities where they can be in and out within an hour, maybe two tops. Um, we do know that some facilities take a little longer to unload because they're they're seeing more all more trucks higher higher density that way. But I don't want to create an inefficiency by trying to create an efficiency if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. The trucker's not getting paid if he's sitting. You got it. You got, you got it. And if we're going to facility, yeah. <laughs> if we're going to a facility that takes four or five hours to unload then the rate has to be has to reflect that. So I'm pretty conscious of that. Um, I, in my career, a short period of time, I managed uh, four trucks and managed the P&L of those trucks. And so I understand really the cost and what it takes to run trucks. And I think that's a unique perspective in the freight brokerage world. Yeah, that definitely is. Katie, what value does this add on a producer level? For sure. Um, For our producers, for cattle producers, for hog producers, for guys raising chickens, realistically what we're trying to do is help them navigate that market. If they're buying feed directly from the plant, nine times out of ten they're also having the plant coordinate that freight. And in some cases that creates problems. Maybe their needs aren't met, they aren't getting loads in a timely fashion, the drivers that are showing up aren't doing a good job potentially. 
And really it comes down to communication. So what I can do in that situation is say, okay, on your next contract, let's consider buying it picked up. And we can manage the trucking in the meantime. And then I communicate with the drivers and let them know how important it is to do X, Y, Z as the facility wants or as the producer wants. And I can manage that detail for the producer and for the plant. And so really the value is an added, oh, it's an added touch. Gotcha. Now, one of the things that I've been hearing from a lot of different people in the ag industry and, well, and outside of it is just this shortage of truckers across the country. Is this mm-hmm. an issue that, that you're seeing? How does it impact? I imagine you're working with a lot of independent owner-operators. You got it. It is an issue. And, you know, the guys that have multiple trucks, have some of them have issues keeping a good driver in the seat. And, you know, it's just, it's a lot like, oh, we talk about there being a shortage of welders and we try, we talk about there being a shortage of uh, locally, back home, I should say, we've got a shortage of nurses and specialized care. So we have a shortage in the trucking market because a lot of people don't want to do the work, right? So these guys are working anywhere from, Oh, 10 to 14, and if they have a short haul, they can work up to 17 hours a day. So it's it's expensive, and there are, there are not many guys that I think can do it well, to be quite honest. So when you find a really good driver and a really good company, there is some loyalty. You know, you know that they're going to get the job done and they're going to do it well, and there has to be that understanding that, you know, what we're doing to help these hauling companies and what Three Point is doing is helping them create a sustainable business model. I am sometimes surprised at the number of guys that don't know what their break-even costs are. So we talk about things like that. We talk about, okay, if your break-even is $1.60 a mile, you need to make this and this and this to have this lifestyle, to be able to support a family, to be able to – and we talked through some of the numbers because my goal is not to move freight in the cheapest way possible, but to do it in the most sustainable way because my business doesn't exist without haulers, without truck drivers. And that's a critical piece of the logistics puzzle that some people forget about. Katie, you unpacked a whole lot there actually that we talked about at our lunch just a little while ago, but to transition into what I want to touch on, which is internationally, right now you focus on a five-state radius. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say something like 90% of what we're moving is within five states. Um, We do have opportunities daily to haul um, in different areas, and I just haven't built that up quite yet. Can you explain to our listeners and to Mike a little bit about what you're telling me at lunch in regards to Canada and the rail systems and maybe future expansion for Three Point? Absolutely. We had talked briefly about um, how the rail, how the railroads work. So in the U.S., the railroads that we see 
go north, south, east, and west. They, of course, don't move. They never have. They won't. <laughs> but we have a much more expansive and vast railroad system than Canada does. Um, Canada has basically two rail lines, the CN and the CP, and those rail lines run east to west. Um, they do have connections with U.S. railroads like the UP, um, but because they run east to west, uh, they have a lot of logistics problems. On top of it, within Canada, there is a governing body that creates mandates and regulations for that industry. And when they do that, because they're not in the industry and managing that currently, they create massive problems. So one of the things that we saw was that they incented Canadian railroads to move product within Canada. They set a specific goal. You have to move X number of loads each year. And that caused massive problems with moving freight in and out of areas like Chicago, um, specific stops in Wisconsin. And then we saw just kind of a domino effect of what that caused. So within those rates, what you do, let's say um, you, you're trading grain into Canada, and the terms of it are that it's, it's traded over Chicago, means it's picked up in Chicago. If the railroad doesn't execute, as they have guaranteed to, and as a trader, what you would do is talk to the railroad, negotiate a freight rate, get it in writing, email uh, traditionally is the format, and then you execute the trade with the other company, meaning whoever's buying or selling the green, and you write a, write a contract. So when the railroad had this new mandate, they stopped – pulling freight in and out of Chicago for a period of time. And that caused massive issues because then contracts weren't fulfilled. And Canada is one of those countries that actually produces it's some insane whatever I say is gonna be wrong, but I think it's <laughs> eighty or ninety percent of all the grain that they grow is exported. Mm-hmm. And so um they do a lot of specialty grains and things like that. When Companies in Canada expect to have, you know, let's say it's wheat traded over Chicago. They expect that wheat to be delivered and it's not there. That affects the entire market. And so it's just been really interesting to see how what seems like one mandate in one country can affect the whole supply chain. So following up on that, do you see three-point ag expanding to become more efficient than rail? Yes. I'm not, people are going to be like, what? That, that can't happen. <laughs> but I think the opportunity for three-point, you know, even if we look at getting involved in Canada, is that because we aren't restricted by um, some of the regulations and mandates that the railroads are restricted by, it will create huge opportunities as long as um, we still have free trade between the countries. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think, we had, as we had talked in lunch, I think that's, a, that's maybe the next potential beyond the U.S. and expanding there. We've got some opportunities within Canada because the rail system is so antiquated and you can't count on it. 
and it runs east to west, how do you get product north to south? And um, there, there's an opportunity there. And there are Canadian truckers that are currently moving stuff like that. But I think that there's always an opportunity to move more freight from the U.S. into Canada, especially because there's going to be more processing and um, I think more specialty grains grown in the U.S. with corn prices and soybean prices being so low, we'll see more farmers look at different options like growing rye and all oh, specialized wheat, whether it's high-protein spring. It may not be something that works within Iowa or south of us, but I think you'll see more of that in Wisconsin, Minnesota, some of our northern states like Montana as well. That makes sense. And now, Katie, one of the things that we've been talking quite a bit about both during the election and now in the legislative cycles is infrastructure spending and, you know, improving the locks and dams on the river, but of course, improving the roads and highways and bridges Mm -hmm. in both Iowa and uh, the country as a whole. What, What are you hearing from drivers? Are there places that they won't go because of road quality issues or is it just... You suck up and fix what breaks if you're, <laughs> you're on a crappy road. <laughs> right, right. No, and I think I would say the majority of the loads that we haul and coordinate and move today are with guys that understand that the roads are not going to be perfect. So their expectations are pretty realistic. It hasn't been a topic that's been brought up a lot in conversations with our haulers. Um, but I think generally guys are really excited about the, you know, within Iowa, we have so many bridges that, you know, have weight issues or, you know, if, if they were rebuilt, um, then a truck could go over them and this guy that's hauling for a local farmer doesn't have to go 12 miles out of route. Yeah. You know, so I think we'll see a lot of that. And I think guys will be really excited when it happens, but it's, I mean, there's so much that needs to be done. And realistically, when they talk about spending money on infrastructure, I think the feeling is that the focus will be urban areas over rural areas mm-hmm. and that any progress in rural areas will be slow. Yeah, I think you are probably dead on about that. That's a trend we have seen for uh, forever, of course, in agriculture is what right. kind of forgotten about until uh, things get too bad. The other the other issue, policy issue, that we've talked with Steve Hilker from Hilker Trucking down in Kansas about, and I wanted to get your take as a broker, is the mandate for electronic logging devices going on trucks here in December. It, has that something you've heard from your haulers about? Are they concerned? Are they, I don't, do they talk about it at all? Yes, definitely. And, you know, this is on the mind of, I would say 80% of our truck drivers, they're thinking about what they're doing today, how that will change operations, if at all, um, and what that looks like for the future. And, um, you know, realistically, our business model is very simple. What I do is when we coordinate a new load, I want to know how long it took to load, how long it took to unload, so I have an idea of what their day looks like. And I can say, okay, that load was supposed to take eight hours, but it took 10. And now you have one driving hour left. So I can modify so that we're within our regulations already. But to say that 
this won't affect three-point egg in the future is really naive because if it affects, let's say, 25% of the truck drivers today are out of compliance, they're running crazy hours and, and that sort of thing, if they suddenly have to run, you know, a maximum of 11 hours a day driving, um, it's going to it's going to cause a trickle down where suddenly they were covering 10 loads a week and now they're only covering eight. Or on a bigger scale, they were covering 100 loads a week, now they're covering 80. Somebody has to move those 20 loads. And so overall, it makes the freight market a tighter market. You got the hypothetically the same demand, but less supply. Yeah, so the impact a, uh, will be that. for higher prices, for sure. You got it. And then I think you'll see more truck drivers get back into the business. But this is part of what I want to focus on at three point is the sustainability of truck driving and creating a system where we can say, okay, we know what your costs are and we know what you need to make to make a living. And we need to be reasonable about that. Getting things done at a cheap freight rate does not help the economy. It doesn't sustain the business model that we'd like to see. And it just doesn't make sense because truck drivers and haulers are a partner in this. They're not a commodity. Well, Katie, the conversation with you has been interesting. But just to wrap it up here, what where can folks find out more information about Three Point Ag or get in contact with you? Absolutely. We have a website. It's Three Point Ag, and it's the number three, and then Point Ag is an agriculture um, spelled out. Um, otherwise, they're more than welcome to email me or call me. My email is khall at threepointag.com, um, and my phone number is 712-269-9838. I welcome the conversation, and I'd be interested to see if anybody's got issues out there that I can help with. Well, Katie, thank you so much, and we are definitely going to have to have you back on again sometime to talk about the iLead program put on by the Iowa Corn Growers Association. Oh, yes. It's so exciting. I feel like we just scratched the surface when I got to chat with you about it briefly, but it's a wonderful program, and I'm, I was – yeah, I was thrilled to have been a part of it, uh, class class number seven. And they've got class eight going on right now. And, um, gosh, it's, it's amazing to see Iowans in international agriculture and the impact that we can have as advocates. That's right. That's great, Katie. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Hey, anytime. Thank you so much for calling. All right, Katie Hall, thanks so much for uh, filling us in on the, the, the hauling brokerage business. There's so many moving parts to make agriculture function. It's uh, neat to hear about these aspects that, that I don't always think of, at least in the, on the side of trucking. Yeah, and I was lucky enough to have lunch with Katie today, and she really just is a wealth of information. I mean, we barely touched on it there at the end. You might have almost missed it, really, but she was part of the I Lead class, class seven, and that's a basically a group to promote advocating amongst those in the ag industry and specifically within Iowa. So we're definitely going to have to have her on again to talk about that opportunity with the Iowa Corn Growers Association. 
You bet. And I can almost guarantee we will meet more and probably talk to more ILEAD graduates next week at the World Fork Expo, don't you think? Yeah, I would bet so. So, folks, do stay tuned. If you are going to be at the World Pork Expo, shoot us a note. Let us know. If you're going to be at the Farm Her Conference at the end of this month, shoot us a note. Let us know. We'd love to talk to you there. And be sure to check out our website, agnewsdaily.com, and tell your friends about the podcast. Also, they should probably log into iTunes and uh, rate and review us. Leave a comment. Any star number is fine. We'd prefer a five. (laughs) But... We're open to anything. Beggars can't That's be right. choosers. That's right. And with all that being said, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.